Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening on Dying Light listeners. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and we're back at it once again with another new episode for you. And I am going to make an attempt to turn over a new leaf for today's show. Uh, I don't know how well it'll go, but we're going to see how we can uh, uh, make it happen for you. I am going to um, not spend the first opening act of the show uh, in my little commercial spiels. Uh, if you've listened to the show long enough, you should know that I promote Logos and we have a patron. You can go to patron.com forward slash undying light and you can go to logos.com forward slash undying light and check out those products uh, as well as the other things around the surrounding fitness. Uh, you can go get your blood work done and you can fix your life as I have and you can do that primebody.com promo code Alex Zinc. So that's the gist of it all. Um, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time, you know, going on and on about him. I am in the process of a, process of like writing out little scripts, if you would, uh, and, and hopefully that we can um, zero in and, and work through that content quickly and just kind of have it placed throughout the show. Um, I don't, you know, when we when we did ads on the show, is there's still the the you know opening and closing ad. We were trying those mid-rolls, and it just didn't always work. It would always cut me off, and I just, I don't know. I'm just not a big fan of it, and they, you know, it's not like they don't really pay you anything. It's like you get two pennies for every thousand listens to an episode, so it's it's really nothing, um, and so I removed the mid-roll, and I want to focus more on the content that I can deliver to you, and that is bringing to you the gospel, explaining it to you, and helping you understand passages of the Bible in an easy setup, if you would, because uh, let's be honest, most people that I know that are Christians, lifelong Christians, don't have a firm understanding of the entire Bible. They they know the basics, but they don't have a good and firm understanding of all of the scriptures. And and you know, and I'll 
kind of pretext this way. Uh, I we, we celebrated my son's first birthday this past weekend, and we yeah his birthday's September fifteenth, but we celebrated it with the whole family this past weekend, and as we were uh, the party was winding down and people were leaving and we were cleaning everything up and that my uh, my wife's aunt came over and was asking me some questions and she was asking me questions about uh, Luke thirteen and Matthew seven. Uh, where Jesus is casting away the workers of evil because they, you know, never truly believed in him. They were just using his name for personal gain. And I've preached a few sermons on this. Uh, you can check them out on our podcast uh, at Stratford Evangelical Lutheran Church. And you can uh, go to our church website. I got to get that link to actually now that I think about it. Um, anywho's, that is just you know some of the things that I encounter. And and look, those are tough passages. You know, for, for anybody to just read it where, you know, Jesus tells his disciples that he must, you must hate your mother and your father. You must hate your life. You must hate your spouse. You must hate your children. And then you can follow me. But not only that, but once you do all the hatreds, then you can, you have to pick up your cross and follow me. And so it becomes this like ridiculously difficult kind of construct of, of how can we, uh, familiarize ourselves with the text and explain ourselves through it in hopes that we 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 aren't going too far to either direction of either legalism or antinomialism or you know we're not misinterpreting the text completely and applying it wrongly in our lives and and i as i found many people just they just don't grasp the greater concepts of the bible and that's perfectly fine uh i you know for my listener base I don't know how many of you would say you've read the Bible more than one time or a few times or you, you devote yourself every year to read it. I don't know those numbers. I don't know how many of you are you know, theologically well-versed. I don't know how many of you have any sort of background in theological education or if you're just simply a church-going Christian and you, you like to listen to the show. I, I, I don't know those numbers, but my goal... And this entire show's premise is to take the complexities of Scripture and boil them down and make them easy for you to understand. Because, look, there's a lot of great podcasts out there that do complex topics and they go through complex history and they break down all of these, you know, situations and, and, you know, doctrinal academic words that they use. You know, I, we call, I call them the theological $3 words or $5 words, depending on the complexity of them. But, you know, it's the, it's the ivory tower debates and it's the academical approach to talking about certain things. And, and those are great shows. There's a lot of them out there that are absolutely great. And, and if you're a Lutheran, there's a lot in the Lutheran circles that are a little bit more theologically heavy. And then there's a, there's a handful that are, you know, a little bit lighter to, to hear and, in my opinion, I, I find I find a good mix for myself. I like to be challenged, uh, and I like to be I like to push myself in my knowledge. So I like to go for the harder stuff sometimes, but I also like to just you know listen because if I'm picking up a podcast, especially like this one where we we did start off heavy Calvinistic, and we were really hammering doctrine and we were explaining the complexities of certain things, and then we. Um, you know, the show split and now it's me running the show and, uh, it's, 
one of the things that I've really come to cherish is my is the opportunity to take the harder things and make them easy. And so I don't try to sugarcoat this. I don't try to throw large terminology in your face and, and let you figure it out whether I'm right or wrong. I just look at the text and I've got, you know, study Bibles and commentaries on my screen through logos that I, you know, help decipher myself through it and I help explain things. And sometimes I'll give you different perspectives like, oh, this is what this passage, you know, or this person says on this passage. This is what this church father says. So this is what the reformed think, or this is what Lutherans think. I try to do that as much as possible. Uh, when I can come to those texts. And for instance, we're going to get to a text like that today in Malachi chapter one. Uh, it's a short chapter. It's 14 verses long. Um, and the first few verses, we, we find some exceptionally difficult text. So if you were just to open your Bible and go to Malachi, it's the last book in the Old Testament. So we have Malachi, and then we have the uh, inter-Testament uh, period where it's about 400 to 430 years before the birth of Christ. And we have this short book, again, as I mentioned on last week's episode in the introduction, it's not very long. It's only a handful of verses uh, through all four chapters. And so we will work through this in the coming weeks and explain the content in hopes that you can get to, you know, like uh, these first five verses in chapter one, get to these difficult passages and understand what is going on here. And, and, and even well, when we get to like chapter two, it opens up with the Lord rebuking the priests uh, because this will be a continuating thought from verse six to the end of the chapter one with the priests polluted offerings. So we will look at these texts and we will try and hopefully help make it easy for you to understand as you leave the show. Uh, so that's the goal of what we do. Uh, and I, I hope you enjoy the Friday shows. I'm going to try and you know, experiment a little bit with those like script slash commercial style things where I do want to promote what I do because I find it to be important for not only myself, but for you. And I'll probably experiment just a little bit on Tuesdays and a little bit on Friday. So maybe we'll split her up 50, 50. Um, so I, that's my goal. I, I know that I have some people that say I just babble on for the first five or 10 minutes and then they usually skip that and go right to the show. So we're going to try and get right into the material at hand quickly and we're going to work through what we have and we will um, tackle those topics uh, you know commercially commercial topics if you would when when appropriate so uh, let's begin I don't know how long this show will be because you know we're, we're going to kick her off it's only 14 verses long but we could probably spend quite a bit of time on these first five verses so let's go ahead and read the first five and then we'll pick up at verse 6 uh, when we get done explaining the first part. So the Lord's love for Israel. Uh, this is the, the beginning in verse 2. If we go back to verse 1. We just have the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. It's a very staple uh, introduction. Um, it's nothing that is you know out of the ordinary for a minor prophet. Uh, this might have been an actual person named Malachi or it could have been an anonymous prophet whom God called my messenger uh, prophesying about the rebuilding of the temple. This is what Luther just has to say in verse one. He says, almost all the words which are uh, here spoken in the name of the Lord echo a sort of disgust. The Lord has had enough and is as it were nauseated by the ceremonies. 
but they themselves preserved for their own grain and profit, not with a sincere heart, but with a greedy one, giving no glory to God. The stomach is the greatest idol of every religion. Unbelief is the cause of greed. So that's what Luther says in the first verse. So the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, and the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear them down, and they will be called a wicked country. And the people with whom the Lord is is angry forever, your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. So let's look at these first few verses. Uh, we, we have the, the demonstration, this uh, constant love that God has always had and still has for Israel. He says, I have loved you. And this is the the paramount statement to God's ever, you know always enduring mercy and grace and it's one thing that really helps us to to understand where God places you know even those outside of Israel as we will see in verse 5 great is the lord beyond the israel the border of israel and as we know that Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament and we will soon get into the birth and life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then the establishment of the apostles going out into the world, preaching to the Jews, and then Paul going to the Gentile nations. And this is the movement that has always been a part of God's plan to demonstrate not only God's love for Israel, but God's love for all of his creation. That is why the Gentiles were grafted in. More or less, the Gentiles were grafted in, as Paul writes, because of Israel's disobedience and in in, in how they have forsaken the Lord. And we see that uh, coming up here in these next handful of verses from 6 on. So we open this text with, uh, with, I have loved you, says the Lord. But then Israel challenges that with this confrontational type question. How have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother? This is a rhetorical questioning of a well-known fact. God introduces the names of Esau, which would be Edom, and Jacob, which would be Israel, two sons of Isaac and Rebekah. Since they were twins, one might suppose equal treatment. I have loved Jacob. Again, the Lord affirmed his love for Jacob, Israel, just as Rebekah loved her son Jacob, but, but Isaac loved Esau. He's going back to Genesis 25, uh, verses 28. So let's uh, let's let's kind of camp here for a moment because I think sometimes, depending on your hermeneutical approach or your presuppositional approach or what you've been taught to say or believe about the text, you're going to see in this uh, this concept of what's called pre- double predestination. And if you if you really apply it, it works well in this text because we we have just the basic words. I've loved Jacob, I've hated Esau. And double predestination is basically stating that God predestines some for glory and predestines some for destruction. So those whom he predestines to glory are the the elect, they are the believers, 
and then he then he predestines others for destruction and so it would fit right if we just assume that god literally hates esau now let's pair this with the context of luke 13 where we talked just a little bit ago on the show where Jesus is saying, you must hate your father, mother, your brother, your sister, your spouse, your children, and yourself before you can follow me. Jesus says, you must hate all of these things. Well, hate's a really strong word. And and in my understanding of the text, I think it's really kind of ill-placed as a translated word from the Greek and Hebrew into English. Now, I haven't done a Greek or Hebrew word study on this particular word. And so I I can't really give you a great detailed analysis behind that. But what I want to do focus on is the concept that this hatred, it can be better translated as loved less. It's not that God hates people in the concept that we do. I mean, we, if we hate somebody, we despise them. We, we could care less about them. If they died tomorrow, it wouldn't, we wouldn't even bat an eye. If we truly hate somebody, it's much different than when God hates somebody because it's not the fact that God hates in the emotional standing that humans do, but it's that God loves Esau less than he loved Jacob. We were given that prophecy to Rebecca that the uh, older shall serve the younger for whatever reason in God's plan, it was to be Jacob who would go on and be the one of the uh, patriarchs to the to the nation of Israel. In fact, his name would be later changed to Israel in Genesis 32 when he wrestles with the Lord. And from there he has the 12 his 12 sons and we have the 12 tribes of Israel which come from Jacob. And so for whatever reason beyond this the the scope of text, we see that God has given the promise to Rebecca for her son Jacob. Now, here's an interesting thing. In this context, in the context of of the Old Testament, and really um, for modern, for throughout modern history, it was always the oldest that took the inheritance. It was always the oldest that, when the parent, more or less, the father died, the the land, the livestock, the money, all of that would be left to the older son, not the oldest daughter. Not the second son, but the oldest son. That was just kind of how it was always constructed from the very beginning through most of modern history. And it's really only recent history that we've seen inheritances kind of shift from just being the oldest son to being all of the children. And if there are no heirs, then it might go to nieces, nephews. If there's no family, it might go to a charity or um, to the state or whatever it may be. So in the context of how God works, we see Abraham having his son Isaac, but Isaac was the second born son to Abraham, but only the first born son to Sarah. That was who the promise came to. It wasn't the, that the promise came to Abraham for his first born son. It was that his first son through Sarah, who would then have Isaac. Then Isaac has uh, marries Rebecca and has son Jacob and Esau. But see, here's the interesting thing. God is, is disrupting this normal pattern of the oldest, always getting everything. And he's saying, this is what the plan will be. 
and he is disrupting that. And, and, and I think there's a lot that can be said about it because it is a focus on that God doesn't operate in the construct that we think he should operate in. And we, we try to, you know, maybe logically explain how God will work and why he does these things. But the entire Bible really doesn't follow a particular pattern to the way man thinks. We, we, if we were to place ourselves in the Old Testament, it was always the oldest brother who received the inheritance. Now, in the New Testament, like the parable of the prodigal son who gets the inheritance, we see that both sons would have gotten something. But here as well, it's the younger son demanding that he gets his fair share of the property. So when we understand kind of the inheritance factor, it doesn't always line up with what we have been taught as a, as you know, this is our presupposition of the firstborn son is the one that receives everything because that's not always the plan through uh, the way God uh, elects people. So if we go to the, uh, to the, to the notion that it's not God hating Esau, but it's God choosing Jacob and essentially passing over Esau we see that Esau's loved less, but we do see a promise given that Esau will then become the nation of Edom, even though Edom will become enemies of Israel. We do see that it is Jacob who is the focal point of this entire story. And so the younger is gets the inheritance. Not to say that Esau had a, a bad life. He had uh, plenty of wealth when Jacob and him meet up later in life. Esau is a wealthy individual. So, you know, it, it's really kind of one of those nuanced verses that can be easily taken out of context, I think, if we try to apply some sort of theological doctrine to such as double predestination. Because we don't really get the sense that in the context of uh, verse uh, 2 here and verse 3 uh, that Esau's being selected for damnation. We just don't have that. In fact, we don't really see that anywhere in Scripture. Um, and we can argue Romans 9 and, and a few other passages where, um, you know, the pot, uh, the potter has control over the pots and he can make some for righteous use and others for uh, damnation or destruction or, you know, bad use, if you would. I don't, it, it's, it, it's, it's really a challenging doctrine to kind of squeeze into those things because those verses require uh, an exceptional amount of exegetical work and cross scripture application. My advice to anybody trying to understand the scriptures is we have to look in its entire scope from Genesis to Revelation. It is not good for us to cherry pick verses or small chunks of verses and apply an entire doctrinal thinking to that, especially if we don't see those verses repeated or explained elsewhere in scripture. That is a very dangerous game to play. So when we get to these verses, yes, we see that Malachi is echoing Genesis. We see Paul echoing Malachi in Genesis later in his work as well. So these verses pop up throughout time. And then we also get the concept of hating those around us uh, it, in, in order to love God. And so we have to understand that word hatred. And it is one of those things that if we were to say, okay, 
I have loved Jacob, but I have loved Esau less. That would make more sense to the application of scripture because God still gives, you know, a, a blessing to Esau in, in the sense of giving him the wealth and, and things that he sought in that life. So I can ramble, ramble on and on about Jacob and Esau and all that stuff, but let's move on. Um, we get uh, the back half of verse three here. I have laid waste to his hill, to his hill country and left his inheritance to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord says they may rebuild, but I will tear them down and they will be called a wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. So the rebuilding of the nation, just as Israel has rebuilt Jerusalem. So Edom vows to do the same. Uh, the name of God here, the Lord, Lord of hosts is used more than 20 times in Malachi. Pretty interesting little note there. More than 20 times we see the Lord of hosts being used in these four short chapters. But then God goes on and says, I will tear these down. In contrast to the blessing of rebuilding Israel's temple, the Lord has declared that the Edomites building projects would be futile. This is noted in uh, Jeremiah 49, verses 7 through 22. Uh, and then he labels them the wicked country. God's judgment against Edom resulted in a new name that expresses his hatred. Now, this loving less could result in a more definitive hatred later on. But I, I would also venture to say it's another framework of Edom and Esau being loved less and essentially God and the Holy Spirit passing over them in terms of salvation being granted. Because it's not that salvation comes to everybody who hears because we know if we preach to a crowd of a thousand people, not all of those thousands will come to believe. Uh, but it's not that of those thousand, let's say 500 believe and 500 don't, it's not the 500 that don't were then or were either then or earlier in creation predestined to hell. They, the, the, the elect, the believers who came to faith that moment were chosen by the Holy spirit to be given faith not based on any merit of themselves, nor any sort of understanding of God looking down the time scope of reality, seeing who's going to believe him. That doesn't, that doesn't come to fruition here. It is the fact that we just know that some will believe and others will have their hearts hardened. And this is where Lutherans reject irresistible grace, because if grace was irresistible, then I could go out and preach to everybody. And I would be able to share the gospel with all people. And then all people would come to Christ because his grace would be uh, un, would be irresistible. But I would also want to counter the argument that they say grace is only irresistible to the believer or to the elect. Well, then it's not irresistible grace because there's still people resisting that grace. There's still people resisting the free gift of God and rejecting it. But those who believe have been given the grace and the mercy of God. So it's a very, very difficult context to get into, but I think it pays us well to understand where these first five verses come into play. Uh, and then we see verse five echoing the concept of Paul demonstrating that great is the Lord beyond the order of Israel, the border of Israel. So now we get to verse six. We have the priests polluted offerings. And this is what Malachi writes. He says, a son honors his father and a servant, his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? 
says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name, but you say, have you despised your name by offering polluted food upon my altar? But you say, how have we polluted you by saying that the Lord's table may be despised when you offer blind animals and sacrifice? Is that not evil? And when you offer those who are lame and sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. He will accept you and show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. Such a gift from from your hand, he will show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there are were among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For the rising of the sun is the setting my name will be among, uh, will be great among the nations, and every place incense will be offered in my name, a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts, but you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted, and its fruits, that is, the, f- the food its foods may be despised, but you say, what a weariness is this? If you snort it, says the Lord of hosts, you bring the, uh, what has been taken by violence or is lame and sick. And this you bring to your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who, do, who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished for. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. And many in my name will be and many and my name will be feared among the nations. All right, so let's break these last few verses down for you here. Uh, we've got verse six: the son honors the father, uh, and the servant honors the master. Uh, the Lord begins this second part of Malachi by addressing the priests by alluding to the fourth commandment: "Where is my honor and fear? The honor and reverence due to God is lacking." In priestly worship. And he goes on to state that the sacrifices that have been brought to him have been polluted, as he indicates in verse 7. Uh, the Lord's table may be despised. By word and deed, the priests made a plan to the people that they were despising God's law and sacrifices. And interesting here in verse 8, when we get to the, uh, the blind, the lame, and the sick, the Lord has forbidden the sacrifice of animals that are blemished. That goes back to Leviticus 22 and Deuteronomy 15. So when these priests are bringing these blemished animals, they are despising, disgracing, and polluting the altar of God. And they are bringing animals that the Lord has forbidden to be sacrificed. God has asked or has stated, more or less, the fact of how the sacrificial system should work. So he says that uh, in in verse eight, he says, go ahead and present that to your governor. God asks sarcastically if the Persian governor would look favorably upon such gifts. So jumping down to verse 10, this shutting of the door, this is an appeal to the end of this mockery of true worship and sacrifice. And this is what Luther says. He says it would be, uh, preferable to abstain from prayer than to pray in an evil manner. The polluted sacrifices being offered by the priests could never gain the Lord's favor. As God had no regard for Cain and his sacrifice, 
So he was displeased with the priests. So that's a pretty good statement. The first sentence was, was directly from Luther. The rest are from his thoughts. It says it would be preferable to abstain from prayer than to pray in an evil manner. So as Luther's making this assertion here that it would be better to just not pray than to do so in a manner that would be despising or displeasing to God. So we have a doctrinal statement here in verse 11 from the rising and the setting. All over the world, as Psalm 113 indicates, uh, his name will be great among the nations. The Lord, or I'm sorry, the priests despise the Lord's name. By the time will come, but the time will come when at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven and on earth shall bow. Philippians 2.10. Not only will Israel cry out, great is the Lord, but all nations will do so likewise. This reverses the Lord's hatred for Esau described earlier in verse 2. Incense was commonly offered in worship and presented to God uh, by the prayers of the people. And that's indicated in Psalm 141, Luke 1, and Revelation 5. First, his words say this, The name of the Lord will be great that is accomplished by the preaching of the gospel. Through the preaching, Christ's name is made known and the Father's mercy promised in Christ is recognized. The preaching of the gospel produces faith in those who receive the gospel. Romans 10, 17. They call upon the Lord, thanks be to God, bear troubles for their confession and produce good works in God's glory. So the name of the Lord becomes great amongst the Gentiles, Malachi 1.11. Therefore, incense and a pure offering means not a ceremony but in, by an outward act, but all the sacrifices through which the name of the Lord becomes great, faith, invocation, and the preaching of the gospel, confession, and so on. We include the preaching of the word among the sacrifices of praise. Malachi speaks about all of the services in the New Testament. He requires services of the heart which, uh, through which the name of the Lord becomes truly great. So to summarize these last few verses here, 6 through 14, uh, the Lord calls into account his Old Testament priests for the way they have despised him as evidenced by their worship practices. Our fallen human nature also makes us quick to serve our own interests by giving leftovers rather than the first fruits. In contrast, God gave us the very best, his only son, Jesus Christ. People of all nations will worship him because of his love and compassion, his grace and his mercy. May we join in their praise of him who is the great king. So that's going to wrap up chapter one of Malachi. We got to spend a little bit more time actually unpacking the text because I wasn't rambling on and on today. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And like I said, I will always include everything in the show notes. If you have questions on anything, DM me, please, on Instagram, quorum.dale.life. Uh, you can even just go to Undying Light Ministries and send me a DM there. I'll check those often. But please reach out if you have questions on anything I talk about on the show or anything that I promote in the show notes or anything like that. So I hope you guys have a great week. Get to church on Sunday. God bless. We'll see you later.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 